going to pray over the word before we start. Father, your word declares that all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, I just thank you so much for the richness of your word, and I just pray that as this word goes out today, that it's going to bring you glory, Lord. We just commit it to you in Jesus' name. Right, so that is what my job is, thoroughly equip the saints, bring them to maturity, and today you're going to get the meat of the word again. All right, so just a quick recap of some of my points from last week. The Word of God is, in this world where there is no absolute, the Word of God is the absolute, unchanging, immovable truth, and it's the authority and standard upon which we need to build our lives. And your defense and your protection against deception is to believe, know, and most importantly, apply the Word in its entirety. And an important principle that I told you last week to burn into your spirits is this, that God's word and God's spirit will always work together. We must never divorce the word from the spirit or divorce the, um, the spirit from the word. And the Bible is our supreme authority and all other forms of revelation, all experience are only to be accepted if they line up with scripture. And the Bible's the only, and Jesus is the only foundation in life which won't constantly be shifting. And he alone can offer us security no matter what storms come our way. And he is where we need to seek our security and our comfort. And hearing his words is not enough. You're building his life on his words only as you obey them. And that means all of scripture, scripture in its entirety. Right, today I'm gonna talk to you about two things. Firstly, the word of God as our weapon. And secondly, what applying it in our lives accomplishes. So the word of God as our weapons, Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and, his mighty, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, obviously, all of that armor works together. It's interconnected and it's all crucial and necessary. But today I'm gonna be focusing on the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And one thing that distinguishes the sword of the spirit, the word of God from the other pieces of armor is that not only is it used for defense as are the other pieces, but it's the one piece of armor that is an offensive weapon. So whilst all the other pieces protect us and defend us, the sword, the word of God, can actually be used to drive Satan from our presence. Every time Jesus personally encountered Satan, the weapon that he used against him was the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And we can see this clearly in Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus. Matthew 4, 1 to 11. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Right, there's two things that I wanna draw your attention to from that passage. One, Jesus always used the same method when dealing with Jesus. He used the weapon of the word of God. Oh, did I say Satan used that when dealing with Jesus? Sorry. He did try it sometimes. But whenever Jesus dealt with Satan, he used the same weapon, the word of God. He used the word as a sword to drive him off. It is written. It is written. It is written. And you know, we see the interesting thing that you can see from there is neither Jesus nor Satan questioned the authority of Scripture, the Word of God. And just on a side note, it's interesting to note that the book today, which is coming under most attack from critics and false teachers who are trying to cast doubts on the authority of Scripture, is the book of Deuteronomy. And in that Matthew passage where Jesus said to Satan three times that it is written, he was quoting from Deuteronomy. So obviously, I mean, Jesus knew as well there'd be deception in the last days and, you know, they'd be trying to question the validity and the authority of the word of God and he even spoke to it there. Right, the second point is that Satan used scripture to tempt Jesus. And this is very important to note that Satan can quote scripture as well. And as you saw there, he used it to tempt Jesus, but he misapplied it. This is what he did in that situation against Jesus. He actually used scripture to give Jesus a justification to sin should he have chosen to. Because he said to him, throw yourself down. So he was basically saying, test God, throw yourself down because he will command his angels concerning you to guide you in all your ways. That comes from Psalm 91. But what he was basically saying there to Jesus was, see, here's a scripture that will allow you to disobey God biblically. He was taking it out of context to try and entice Jesus to sin. And he will come against you using scripture. But this will be especially true if you are in the word for yourself and know how to use the word correctly, then Satan will come against you with scripture. For a student of the word, you see his attacks need to become more subtle than the attacks and arrows that he can throw at you if you don't know the word. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that later. So remember that important principle, God's word and God's spirit will always work together. We ne must never divorce the word from the spirit or the spirit from the word. And we saw over the series in some of those DVD clips that David's shown us, so-called moves of the spirit. And there we saw that where you try to seek the spirit apart from the word, it's gonna result in foolishness, error, a focus on signs and wonders, and a focus on experience, and all of that will lead you into deception. And then the word without the spirit, which is what you saw Satan trying to do in Matthew, 
you'll find formalism and legalism and that leads you into deception as well. You see, Satan doesn't enjoy tackling a disciple who actually knows how to use the sword of the Spirit. He hates it if you are able to correctly handle and wield the word of truth, the sword of the Spirit, because he has to accept the authority of the word and he has to flee. So if you know that and you understand it and you're in the word for yourself and you know how to handle it properly, he hates that. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Always remember though that there's a condition in that scripture. Resisting the devil must first be accompanied by submitting to God. A believer who's disobedient or unsubmissive to God will not see victory. Why will resistance cause the devil to flee? As I said, because if we prepare to do battle against, if we're confident in our use of the armor, he knows he cannot have victory over us. And it's just a pity that more Christians don't realize that. Never forget what Jesus did on the cross. In fact, you should learn and memorize the next verses that I'm telling you and use them as one of your thought thrusts whenever Satan tries to hassle you or intimidate you or bring condemnation. This is what Jesus did on the cross for us and what he did to Satan. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So next time Satan comes and tries to draw you into fear, tries to bombard your mind with doubt, tries to condemn you through accusation, you need to pick up your sword and you need to remind him of that scripture that he's got no power, that he's been disarmed. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Two important things that I want you to notice in that passage there. That although it is the sword of the Spirit, we need to do our part. We need to work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit in this, in using this weapon. So what is our part? Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So look at those two bolded words, put on and take. We are responsible for having this on us, okay? We've gotta have the sword attached to our belt of truth. You've gotta have a belt of truth as well first, buckled properly with your breastplate of righteousness, but you've gotta have the sword of truth on you, that's our part, to hang the word on us, to study it and have it inside of us. And it's really important to realize the Holy Spirit's not picking it up and handing it to you in emergencies when you need it. You need to have it on you as part of your armor. And as you draw that sword in faith, the Holy Spirit will give you the power and wisdom to use it. God has provided the weapon, the sword. He's given you the Holy Spirit to help you, but it's up to you to actually pick it up and put on the sword. No one else can do that for you. And the Bible assures us that if we put on the full armor of God, we will be fully protected from evil and be able to actively resist it as we correctly use our weapons. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And I'll be repeating some things here because you really need to get them into you and repetition does that. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stay, take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. And it's just interesting, you look in that passage, our struggles not against flesh and blood, against rulers, against authorities. And go, think back to that Colossian scripture where it says he disarmed them. He disarmed the powers and authorities on the cross. Right, remember that word therefore. Remember last week I looked at a therefore as well in, in um, one of the passages that I was looking at. If we look at Strong's Concordance, it explains that therefore as what follows. Now then, accordingly so by extension, here how, here's how the dots connect. And this is how the therefore connects the dots in this passage. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against demonic forces. Therefore, to resist, to stand, we need to put on the full armour, take up the sword, which is the Word of God. And before I want to go on to, to my second point, I just want to say regarding the word take. Take doesn't mean just having a Bible handy sitting around the house or having a couple of Bibles lying around your house. Taking means it's an active verb, okay? It means that you live the word, you build on the rock. And secondly, means having that word inside of you so that it can be released out of your mouth because that's how the sword of the Spirit works. In conjunction with the Holy Spirit, you'll bring out and speak aloud the word of God. Right, the second important thing that we need to be aware of is that when Paul spoke about the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians six seventeen, when he said, the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the word, the Greek word therefore word was the rhema, the spoken word of God. Okay, Ephesians six seventeen. take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the rhema of God, that spoken word. So to use the sword of the spirit, you need to speak out loud the word of God. And as I've already said, that's your responsibility to have that word inside you. You know, when the enemy confronts you, you're not always gonna have an opportunity to go and run and find your concordance in your Bible. So you need to be storing as much of the Word of God in your memory, in your heart as you can. And when we take that scripture in our mouths and we quote it directly, it then becomes the sword of the Spirit. And note that that's what the power is, where the power is. It's the Word of God that we quote, not our own words or our own ideas. It's the Word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Rhema Word. So if you haven't got the Word in you, and I've heard people doing this, particularly when they're praying and things, and you're just saying things like, get lost, Satan, in Jesus' name. That's like throwing foam stones at him, seriously, okay? It's not using the sword of the Spirit. Those words, your own words, are not gonna repel him. It's the Word of God that is living and active that does it, not your words. The name of Jesus and the Word of God used from a position of authority that you have as a result of a personal intimate relationship with Christ are the two things that are gonna drive the enemy away. So attacking Satan or his demons without having a personal relationship with Jesus can in fact be very dangerous for you. Acts 19, 13 to 16. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating 
that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You have authority as you stand, in your standing in Jesus Christ, but it's not based on who you are, it's based on the authority that you have in Christ. All right, so remember Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor. Ephesians 6, 17, take the sword. So if you're not in the word at all, you don't even have a sword on you, okay? It's your responsibility to put it on and to take up the sword. As I said, God's not gonna do it with you. You know, not studying and meditating on and applying the word of God is like sitting staring at a treadmill and thinking that you're gonna lose weight. You've gotta get on, okay, and do the hard yards. And it's the same, you've gotta pick up the word of God and allow it to change you and it will change you. Start with applying it to yourself first. If you get your, your life in line with the word of God, then you'll be able, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to handle it properly to repel the enemy as well. But you start with yourself getting your own life aligned with the Word. So I said at the beginning I was gonna talk to you about two things. The Word of God is our weapon, which I've just done. And the second point that I'm gonna move on to now is what applying it to our life actually accomplishes, if we let it. Hebrews 4.12, from the NRV, I've got two versions up there. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The same um, verse from the King James, I just liked some of the words there. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even to the div dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm gonna look at four things from that passage and it will be those basically the bolded words. First one, the word of God, the sword of the spirit is alive. Alive comes from the Greek word zeo and it means having vital power in itself and exerting the same upon the soul. So the word is alive. The word will always cause a response in a person. It's alive, it's going to cause a response. It might be positive, it might be negative, but it will cause a response in a person. It brings conviction. Remember in Acts when the disciples preached the word, Acts 2.37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The people were convicted, they were cut to the heart, and that's a response of the sword of the Spirit being wielded, the preaching of the Word of God. That's what it does, it's alive, it cut them to the heart. It brings conviction. As I said, whether we respond to it or not correctly, it convicts. Listen now to the response of the Pharisees, the response of religion to conviction. Acts 5, 33. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. And there's some other passages where it talks about them being furious and gnashing their teeth. So the response of religion to conviction or to the word being applied to them is anger, rage, and murder. The word also brings us comfort and healing. Proverbs 4, 20 to 22. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. So the Word of God is alive. The Word of God, secondly, is also active and powerful. Strong's Concordance, again, active from the NIV and powerful from the King James, both come from the same Greek word, energes, 
which means effectual, powerful, and the definition of effectual, successful in producing a desired or intended result. It's effective. The Word is powerful. The Word of God is so powerful, it can pull down strongholds, and that's why Satan hates it and is terrified of it. If you know how to use it properly, okay, it can pull down and tear down strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Thirdly, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is sharper than a two-edged sword. And the sharper comes from the Greek word tomos. It's a comparative adjective which means to cut decisively as if by a single stroke rather than repeated blows like hacking something, okay? It's sharp like a scalpel. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. If you allow it to, okay, if you allow it to, it can enter when no other sword can enter to dissect can penetrate and cut between your soul and your spirit, just like a scalpel. If we let the Word work in us, it can separate and cut off those sinful habits that have become natural to us or rooted deeply in our souls. Those very sinful behaviours that have become part of our personality, it can cut through all of that. If you allow it to, it can cut through pride to bring humility. If you allow it to, it can cut through obstinacy and rebellion from our wills to bring us into obedience and meekness. And if we allow it to, it can cut off enmity from our minds. And the Bible says that, you know, that enmity that we have in our minds is enmity against God Himself. So that is how powerful and how sharp that word is. It can come right in if we let it. The sword penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. I mean, think about that for a second. How close is that dividing joints and marrow? So the Word can go right into our inmost parts, our intimate parts. And then the fourth thing from that Scripture is the Word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. The Word of God reaches right into the heart, the very centre of our lives, and it lays open the motives. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, a steadfast spirit. Hebrews 4.12 it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I like how the King James Version puts it. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So even your most secret thoughts and intentions. And we need to allow that Word of God into those most secret places. Let the Word work in us. Let us allow the sword to cut away what needs to be cut away. Okay, it's gonna be done. Um, the Holy Spirit is just gonna come and do it if you let him, okay, and he's a master surgeon. All right, now Hebrews 4.12, um, that passage I've just looked at, I just wanna read to you the second part. So we've got the Word of God we've looked at. It's alive and active and it's sharper, penetrates the dividing and judges the thoughts and attitudes. Now look at the verse that follows immediately on from that, and this is the reason why we allow the Holy Spirit, or why we should allow the Word in to do its work in us and to cut away what needs to be cut away. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. And so, you know, that is really a, re a very good reason if you didn't have one already, to just allow the Holy Spirit in to do what He wants to do. You don't have to be scared of it. All right, so as believers, we must study God's Word for ourselves. That's the method that He's chosen for us to grow 
and to get to know Him and to defend ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. There is no other way. All right, now the weapon that Jesus used in overcoming Satan, as I said, was the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And He quoted directly to Satan from God's work because uh, God's Word against this weapon, Satan has no defence. And we've got three main responsibilities with regards to the use of the sword. Firstly, we need to take up our sword. And I've said that already. We need to make a choice to pick up the word. We need to make the choice to start disciplining ourselves in the use of the word, getting into a regular habit. We need to start studying and get to know. And we need to not be lazy in this. And let me tell you, your flesh will actively resist this. How many of you have decided, oh, I'm gonna do this, and then you suddenly feel so sleepy, or you're reading, or you can't concentrate, or you know, a hundred other things vie for your attention? Your flesh will resist it. Your flesh is anti this, okay? It's hostile towards God. You have to take your flesh in hand and control it by your spirit. Your, your flesh should not be leading you. Your body should not be dictating and leading you. It's your spirit that should be doing that, okay? So your flesh is gonna be squealing and it won't wanna do it. You take your flesh, you'd get your spirit to take your flesh in hand and do it. Your spirit should be dictating your life, not your soul. All right, you know, and um, as much as we take time and effort to prepare food and consume it for our physical body, so too do we need to do the same for our spirit. I was talking to some of the girls the other day and I was just saying, I'd love to have some sort of computer generated program where you could, you know you have these programs where you can age someone or make them look younger. I'd love to be able to have a program that actually shows you the size of your spirit. Okay, so if you inputted all the, all the spirit food that you're giving your spirit and all the disciplines that you're doing to build up your spirit, to actually have a generated thing to show what size your spirit is in, in relation to your physical body. Be interesting. But you know, getting into the word daily is your spiritual food and you wouldn't starve your physical body. But yeah, that's exactly what so many Christians are doing with their spirits. And the spirit is the thing that's gonna go on, not your body. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember last week I spoke about Jesus saying to build your life wisely, you need to be hearing and doing his words. And he's just said there as well that you don't live on bread alone. So feed your spirit as you would your physical body. Now our second responsibility is to wash ourselves with the word. And this is how the word works in us. We wash ourselves with the word. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That scripture shows us the work of the word in us. It cleanses us, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. The word cleanses us. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. That word sanctify also means to purify, to cleanse. And how do you do that? By the truth, and what is the truth? Your word, okay? So it's very clear. And I'm sure that you all know that the way you think and consequently the way you behave is as a result of the beliefs that you hold. Your thoughts and your attitudes well, your thoughts lead to your attitudes and your behavior and that comes out of your worldview, out of your belief system. 
So we need to be washing our minds with the Word of God. What does this mean, this washing? It means cleaning, replacing any wrong beliefs with the truths that are found in God's Word. So how do we do this? How do we wash our minds? Washing your mind with the Word means you study and meditate on God's Word and then um, in your belief system, you'll replace the lies with truth. And you can only do that if you get into the Word. If you don't know the Word, you might not even know that some of your beliefs are lies, number one. And secondly, you won't have anything to replace them with because you don't know the truth. All right, but if you do that, if you replace the lies in your thinking with truth, then that's eventually gonna lead to different behavior. And it also ensures that you're gonna keep your doctrines about Christ, about the Word, about the cross, and your behavior all biblical. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It amazes me how many Christians would be, oh, I don't really know what God's will is for my life. Well, get into the Word. Okay, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I'm just gonna show you a little practical illustration of what washing your mind looks like. Um, Now remember I said washing your mind means that you're actually taking the word and you're literally using it to wash away the lies, replace them with the truth of the word, all right? Now one of the things I had, when I was growing up, and I've probably said this to several people, is my dad would say, if not every single day, then at the very least every second day, for 23 years that I lived at home, you have to look after yourself. You have to look after number one, because no one else is gonna look after you. So consequently, that built up a lie in my mind, okay? And the lie is this, I have to look after myself, I have to protect myself because no one else will, okay? So that is the lie that comes from that, and that transfers onto God as well. It transfers onto all your other relationships because you're not gonna trust God. You might say you do and do the lip service, but when things really go wrong, you struggle to, to trust God and to trust other people and to even have close relationships with people. And you know what the problem with this is? Satan loves to energize this lie as well. Because every time someone does hurt you or betray you or something else goes wrong, you know what the little whisper you get? See, I was right. I knew that I shouldn't trust anyone. I knew that I have to look after myself. And that's what he energizes and whispers into you. All right, so we wanna wash our minds with the word of God. So washing with the word is now finding a truth that's gonna replace this lie. Obviously, you have to first identify the lies And if you're in the Word, that will help you as well to identify the lies that you have. And so this is just a practical, just to help you, you know, hopefully you'll remember it, just to see what it looks like to actually wash with the Word, okay? Sometimes some of the lies have been there for a long time. We might have to scrub a bit harder, apply the Word, apply the Word of God, go over it every time. A situation comes where it wants to trigger that lie, we, may have to, we have to take our thoughts captive and go back into quoting out loud the truth. All right, so what's a lie that we could replace with that? And this is just one scripture of many, many that are in the Word of God. 
Um, so if we just put up that scripture, we'll see. Psalm 18:22. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Um, horn there always speaks to strength. All right, so if you've got a lie, well, as I had a lie there, that I have to look after myself, no one else will protect me, I have to look out for myself. That's just one of many scriptures. And that clearly shows you that the Lord will protect you, the Lord will look after you. And you have to take that, and every time you start to doubt or have that lie coming up as a default mode, you have to apply the word to it. Okay, you speak the word out, and you know, sometimes it'll take a long time to replace that lie with the truth. Some will be quicker than others, but you keep speaking that word out. And you know what, bottom line, you can either believe the lie, I have to protect myself, or you believe that. You can't believe both of them. So you have to decide for yourself, whose word am I gonna believe? My flesh and Satan's word to me, or am I gonna believe what God says? Because I cannot be holding on to both of them. It's one or the other. And that's why as well, we have to, in that scripture about tearing down strongholds, that is what tearing down a stronghold is. You are taking your thoughts captive, making them obedient to Christ and choosing, it's choice, okay? Not what you feel like, it's choosing to believe the Word of God. And that stands in stark contrast, contrast to that lie. So you have to decide which one you're gonna believe, whose voice are you gonna believe? So as we read and believe the truth of God's Word, these truths are gonna wash, they're gonna cleanse our minds because they'll replace our thoughts and change the way we think. And when the way you think changes, your attitudes and behaviours will follow. Okay, you often are in bad habits with behaviour and you have to train yourself out of that. But you know, sometimes people get it wrong. They wanna try to change the behaviour first without changing the thinking. That's just behaviour modification and it's not gonna hold for a long time. If you do not tackle the root of these things and change your thinking, then your behaviour is not gonna change. Right, so the third area of personal responsibility is that we need to be trained in correctly handling and using the sword, the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That word approved there um, comes from a Greek word. It talks about someone who's been tested and found to be fit, okay? Um, the Roman soldiers that Paul was taking his armor analogy from used their sword in two ways. One, to protect themselves from harm, or secondly, to attack the enemy to overcome and kill him. And they needed to undergo rigorous training, strict discipline to learn to correctly handle the Word of God. Uh, sorry, to handle their swords, but we need to undergo rigorous training and discipline ourselves to correctly handle the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. In church, we need to be diligent in this. Okay, this is not an optional extra. Get into the Word if you feel like it. Because Satan knows that you can overcome him with correct use of the Word. Now, I'll just tell you um, this next thing's from my personal experience. Well, most of it is, but I tell you now, if Satan's unsuccessful in getting you to, not, uh, to stay away from the Word, so if he can't keep you from getting into the Word, his next strategy is to try and keep you from correctly handling it or using it. And um, I said earlier, and I didn't say earlier, but I'm gonna say it now, sorry. Satan's attacks on you and the form of his fiery darts his arrows that he uses have to change. 
Okay, the form of them has to change once he knows that you are in the word for yourself. And you know, um, God opened this up for me a few years ago. I'd really um, been getting in the last few years really into the word and, and getting a love for the word. And um, so I'd start hearing scriptures and then I would be taking that scripture and I would be really condemning myself with it and really striving and thinking, oh, I'm falling short of that. And it took me a while for God to open up and show me that the enemy's attack on me had changed because I'm putting, as I put more and more truth in me, I'm able to recognize the arrows and the lies for what they are, where it's just about whatever. Because I've got truth now, he has to change his attack and he attacks me with scripture, okay? Like we saw in Matthew where he attacked Jesus with scripture. And I started realizing, you know, that um, I was taking, because I was hearing scripture and because I love scripture, I was accepting it. And then just trying to strive and work and you know, it was just scripture misapplied and taken out of context. And I realized it was getting me to actually just do a good work over on myself all the time. And it's always good just to check and make sure it's not conviction. But this was condemnation and it was using the word. And so I was accepting at first because this is the word of God and I know it's truth. But then God showed me that he was actually, it was Satan misapplying that to me and I was going into striving and stuff. Um, and so then he directed me in particular one scripture that I was dealing with to go and read the passage in context. And that just opened everything out and actually exposed for me that it was an attack. Okay, so once Satan knows that he can't keep you from being in the word, his arrows have to change and his attack has to become more subtle. And as I said, for me, if he'd come with some obvious lies like that, you can't, you know, you have to protect yourself. Yes, years ago I would have fallen for that lie. Then as I've grown in the Word and got the Word in me, I can stop that thought when it comes, recognize it as a lie and say, no, I'm not receiving it. And so then he would come with a scripture that would bring condemnation and make me doubt my salvation and stuff like that. But because it was a scripture, I was accepting it and listening it. Then God took me to the next stage where he showed me that it was actually Satan misquoting, or not misquoting because he quotes accurately, but misapplying it to the situation. So you need to know the word in context as well, all right? So if you're in the word, those old arrows and old lies and accusations aren't effective because as I said, you recognize them now for the lies that they are. Because you've begun renewing your mind with truth, you can more easily identify the lie because the truth inside of you, God's word exposes the lie and you see them for what they are. So now, as I said, he has to make the text more subtle and he'll modify by using the very thing that's gonna defeat him, he will use back on you and that's the word of God. And, um, but remember as well, though he may, you know, if you're in the word and you're growing in the word, he will start attacking you with that. But if you've got other areas in your life where you're still holding onto lies and you haven't replaced them, he's an opportunist, so it's not to say that he won't still throw those arrows, because he will. All right, so how does he do that if he's using scripture to you? He does it in one of two ways. He's gonna send a scripture, as I said, taken out of context or misapplied to the actual situation. And we saw that in that temptation of Jesus in Matthew. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. That's Satan quoting out of Psalm 91. He's quoting that scripture. Jesus answered, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to your test. 
So notice he's offering that as a justification to Jesus to sin because if Jesus did throw himself down, he would be sinning because he would be testing God. And Satan's saying, but you can do it because he's gonna command his angels concerning you. So he's giving it as a justification for him to sin. And we need to remember that Satan's only got a foothold in our life to the extent that we've let him in into an area of sin. You saw in Colossians that he's been disarmed. Okay, Jesus disarmed him on the cross. But it's as we have areas of sin, that's what gives him a foothold into our life. And if he can get you to buy into using scripture to justify yourself and your sin, then he's more than willing to supply you with scripture out of context. So just knowing the scripture's not enough. You've gotta be trained in properly handling it. And part of that correct handling is to ensure you're not just taking the parts that suit you and using them out of context to justify yourself. Because a lot of people do that or allowing others, Satan or false teachers, to do the same. So remember the word without the Spirit is gonna lead you into formalism, that's a moving away from God, denying God the right to change you, using scripture to justify sin or compromise in your life, that's a step away from God and it's the first step into self-deception. Right, the second way that Satan uses scripture is that he'll just twist it a little bit. We saw that in his temptation of Eve. Remember he said to Eve, did God really say you mustn't eat from any of the trees? And if you weren't alert and listening carefully, it sounds similar. And Eve said, well, God said we can eat of anything except that one, but it's just a bit twisted, so it just sounds almost the same if you're not alert. And there he's using Scripture as a weapon to get you to question God and to doubt God. And again, if you don't know your Scripture well enough, and in context, you might actually fall to an arrow like that, just that little suggestion, it sounds all right. But I have to warn you, and this is not a warning to put you off because it doesn't matter. It's to prepare you, you still go ahead. Once you know how to correctly handle the word of truth and once you turn that sword onto Satan in attack, he will counter, okay? He will counter attack. And he does that by accusing you of being religious and legalistic which is exactly what he's doing, but he will always accuse you of what he's doing. Because he hates you using the scripture on him, he's got to take by accusing you of that, or he'll accuse you of being super spiritual, okay? He hates it if you're able to correctly handle and wield the word of truth, the sword of the spirit, because as I said, he himself has to accept its authority and he has to flee and he hates it because the word is gonna bring you into freedom. 2 Corinthians 10, four to five, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He hates that, he has to flee. And um, I just wanna say, I just wanna, the Lord's been really, over the last three weeks I've been preparing this, He's really been opening this out to me um, about accusations that, you know, when the enemy counterattacks you by accusation. An accusation, you know, um, from the enemy, whether directly through him or via, via people, is a strategy or a tactic that he uses as a diversionary tactic. It's all a smoke screen to draw you off of your ground and to get you going down rabbit holes. And in this way, it takes your attention off the issue that you're meant to be dealing with or confronting. 
And the Lord spoke to me about this um, just last week. He was reminding me that if I need to defend accusation, it means I'm putting down my sword and my shield. Now, the shields that um, Paul was talking about, the armor, were like full-length body shields, big shields that protect your whole body. And God said to me, if you are defending yourself against accusation, it means you're having to put down your shield, put down your sword, and then you're you're picking up the arrow. And so what I'm doing when I'm doing that is that he showed me in picking up the arrows, not only am I losing my protection as I lay down both my shield and my sword, but that the arrows are poisonous. And as I pick them up, I get poisoned. And you know, the Lord uses so many different things. Um, You know, I find that sometimes um, Callan gets annoyed with me or like, there's not sermon and everything, but I just find all these things, God just opens things out. And David and I have been watching a show about Mary, Queen of Scots and... um, one of the, you know, when she was living in the palace in France and, and the queen mother there was trying to poison her at one, at one stage. And yeah, there's different methods, drinking poison and stuff. But there was the one day where um, she walked into her room and one of the servants had actually brought her beautiful dress that had just been made back for her and had just tried it on quickly because it was so beautiful. And she died within minutes because the dress had been poisoned and so it seeped through her skin. And God was just showing me that that's what happens when I try to defend accusation. I put down my shield, I put down my sword, I pick up that arrow that's poisonous. And so you don't do it, okay? It's trying to divert you. In a nutshell, God was telling me and all of us that we need to allow and trust Him to be our defender and to be our deliverer. Because really, you know, sometimes um, with accusation, you get all... It's just so unjust or it's not righteous or whatever, but often it's just your pride coming up and it's like, eh, let God deal with it. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. So get into the Word, believe it, it's your God against deception. Thank you.